Good morning, beloved. In 1943, Abraham Maslow published a paper in Psychological Review entitled A Theory of Human Motivation. He proposed an ascending hierarchy of needs that explains your behavior and mine. And the key to our happiness, Maslow's paper did not include uh, the famous well-known diagram that many of us are familiar with. This was added later by an editor, an anonymous editor in a psychological textbook. But Maslow's hierarchy of needs suggests that human beings with our motivation first pursue our basic physiological needs of food, water, warmth, and rest, and that we, we move up from that base to pursue needs of security and safety, further up to needs of love and belonging, and further on still to esteem needs, feeling of significance and accomplishment, until the very summit of that pyramid in his proposal of self-actualization, where we reach a creative expression of ourselves and reach our full potential. Maslow's theory, though it was published uh, more than 70 years ago, remains influential in popular psychology, sociological research, management training. Maslow suggests that, that human beings should direct their attention towards their lowest level of basic needs. And only when those are met will we move up to our psychological needs and self-fulfillment needs. Maslow, toward the end of his life, however, was troubled by his own theory. He was troubled by the question, in his own words, why don't more people self-actualize if their basic needs are met? Why don't we move past this relentless, consuming concern for our basic needs. It begs the question for us this morning, what is the greatest need that we have? How should we pursue it? What should be the first priority in our lives? What will lead us to fulfillment and a sense of real accomplishment? And these questions are weighty and significant, and they actually give us access to our text this morning. According to Jesus in Matthew 6, 24, none of us can serve two masters. Jesus says that you will either hate the one and love the other, be devoted to one and despise the other. Jesus says you cannot have two points of focus in your life. I've been struck all week when Jesus says, the authoritative son of God looks at me and says, David, you can't do this. I've almost been stopped right there. I couldn't make it past this verse for a couple of days. For Jesus just to tell me clearly and starkly, this, is, this would be impossible for you to do. I resisted. And like maybe some of you think, well, uh, you know, we can have two loyalties or uh, just rank them or we can have uh, some of us have two jobs or multiple friends Uh, some of us think dangerously we can have multiple close close relationships but Jesus says you can't do this 
He says it in a different way at the end of the verse. You cannot serve God and money in the ESV. This is one of the places in the Gospels where the Gospel writers actually preserve uh, Jesus' own Aramaic words. And some translations preserve this because Matthew actually records, he transliterates the, the word mammon. And you may be familiar with that translation. You cannot serve God and mammon. What's mammon? Mammon is the Aramaic word for wealth or property, earthly goods. Mammon sometimes was described as the personification of riches and even was worshipped as a Syrian god. Matthew preserves the statement of Jesus that you cannot serve both God and material wealth. You cannot devote your primary attention, Jesus says, to food, property, wealth, and expect to fully devote yourself to God. Jesus says very starkly and clearly that none of us can do this. In other words, you cannot exhaust your strength, spend your time, give your energy to meeting your needs and hope that you will find a meaningful fulfillment in life. It's a striking statement, isn't it? And even if we weren't psychology majors in college, we have this idea in us from the culture that if I just got my basic needs met, then I will move up to start caring maybe about the needs of others around me. Jesus says, it's the, it's, there's something very different going on. It's a challenging verse, isn't it? You cannot serve to meet your own needs. You cannot focus your attention. You can't see people and resources around you as a way to get your needs met. And then imagine at some point later, you will transition to meeting theirs. It's a real challenge. Jesus says you can't do it. You cannot serve both God and mammon. You cannot serve God and be overly concerned with meeting your own needs. Well, thankfully, the passage continues. It continues because Jesus interprets this thesis statement, if you will, in the rest of our text that Brock just read. Jesus draws three implications from this, and they're, they're all expressed in the same leading sentence. Therefore, Jesus says in verse 25, this is the first one, he says, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Do not be overly concerned. Do not fret. Do not occupy yourself. Do not relentlessly seek after your basic needs. Now, we devote a tremendous amount of attention to our basic needs, don't we? I mean, I, I will confess, I think about the next meal I'm going to have a lot. I mean, looking at me, you would not think I'm a big eater, uh, but I am. <laughs> I mean, Steve Morosi can attest in Thailand. I mean, we ate 45 racks of grilled meats, and people were looking at us like, who are these guys? Jesus says, I don't want you to focus so much of your attention 
on your basic needs. Don't occupy your mind, your heart affections with questions like, what will I eat, what will I drink, and what am I going to wear? Don't pursue them as though your life is, is, is solely about these things. Jesus asks us a challenging question this morning, and he says, is not life more than these things? Is not life more than food? Is not the body more than what we're wearing? Is there not something more urgent and more important, more critical to who we are as people than my next meal, my next drink? Jesus is challenging us this morning to say there's something much more important. It's a challenge, really, to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's a challenge for us as we, we think of this pyramid and we think, well, in the pyramid, I've got I've to focus on that bottom level and then and only then will I, will I move up. So psychologists today have challenged Maslow's hierarchy of needs precisely at this point. And, and they've said that the, that the layers of the pyramid actually, it's not the case that people wait until their, each level or register is met before moving up, that there's kind of a constant interaction. Jesus is not speaking without compassion. He is speaking with tremendous love. Is not life more than that? And the first thing that we want to do, we need to do this morning, is we have to hear the challenge of Jesus. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot be devoted to God and spend so much of your time thinking about yourself and your basic needs. Is not life more than that? And we wonder... What would happen if we agreed with Jesus at this point? If we said, is not life more important? Well, maybe, but, but what about my needs? <laughs> because our needs are ever-present. And Jesus says, look, look around, look around. If Jesus had been walking in our country today or our world today, I think he would have said, uh, look up. Turn your eye away from the glowing screens and look around. And what would we see? Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. It's, it's an intensive verb here, actually, that it's look closely. It's like pay att- close attention to the birds of the heavens, of the air, and look at them. Jesus says, look, look closely at them. They, the, the birds are not cultivating the fields. There's no upper management among the robins. Jesus says, take a, take a look at them. They're, they don't sow or reap or gather into barns. There are six billion birds right now migrating around the planet. Jesus says, look at them. They are not exerting themselves to, to sow, reap, and gather And yet, your heavenly Father is feeding them. 
When you look out at creation, you see God is caring for the six billion birds and providing for them. And then Jesus asks us a profound question. Are you not of more value than they are? This is Jesus using the, the, the call of the homer, the light and the heavy. If God so cares for the birds, will he not care for you? And you see, this, this challenges us, it challenges me, that maybe I don't need to focus my attention on getting my basic needs back. Because my Heavenly Father will meet them. The Father feeds them. You know, birds are spectacular. And they're remarkable. I talked with a bird lover this week and a bird, a bird photographer as well. And he took this picture. If we could switch to this one, Roger, with the, the male chestnut-sided warbler. There he is. Look at this guy. I, I spoke with a photographer who took this picture. I'm not a bird watcher, but this guy really is. He also happens to be dating our daughter. And so, so when I asked him if I could show this picture, he was glad to give me permission. But I asked him about this. I said, just take me on the inside of this photograph. He said, well, let me tell you. He said it was a gorgeous May morning. There was a warm front that had just passed by, strong south winds, just the right conditions for spring migrant passerines. He said, I positioned myself over a little gorge where some thorn bushes were about 20 feet away, and I heard the warblers singing. He said, I focused my attention on this perch coming out. The next set of, of bushes was about 200 feet back. He said, I knew that they were going to land there. And he says, I was just laying down over the gorge with my camera waiting, and all of a sudden, this guy just popped. He said, in the blink of an eye, he appeared. I took the shot. I couldn't believe it. It's an award-winning picture, actually. But it's just one bird of six billion now, most of us this morning probably couldn't have said, take a look at that male chestnut-sided warbler. Some of us could have. This guy's stunning. And God's caring for him. And Jesus says, take a close look at that. Take a close look at that. If I'm going to care for the birds, how much more will I care for you? And which of you, Jesus says, by being anxious and fretting, and concerning yourself, who can add a single hand breadth to the span of your life? Dear friends, this is, this is a compassionate word of Jesus to us. Trying to free us up from an excessive concern about meeting our basic needs. As though that's the path to fulfillment and happiness. Anxiety, worry, stress doesn't add to our lives. There's a growing body of evidence that suggests that 
stress, anxiety, and worry actually can shorten our lives. Jesus is trying to set us free. He says, why are you anxious? Why are you excessively concerned about what you're going to wear? Take a look at the flowers of the field, how they grow. They're spectacular. One of the most common wildflowers in Israel is where saffron comes from, and it just springs up, and it's beautiful, and it's, it can be harvested for spices and colors. One of the most extraordinary displays of God's sense of beauty is what happens in Israel in the desert for a couple of weeks when the desert blooms. The entire area in the south is covered with a carpet of red flowers for about two weeks. Spectacular. And no one plans it. But God just puts on this extraordinary display. And Jesus says, look at these flowers. Look at the lilies of the field. They are remarkable. And they neither toil nor spin. But Jesus says that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. It struck me at as though Jesus' divinity is just leaking through here. You know, because Jesus talks about Solomon's outfits like he was there. And he was. <laughs> and he, and, and his, his disciples weren't. <laughs> and there were no photos. But Jesus said, let me just tell you, Solomon's best royal outfits can't compare. When we hear these words of Jesus, it's a reminder that life is more, isn't it? If God so clothes the grass of the field, Jesus says, it's here today, it's gone tomorrow. Those flowers in the desert last just a couple of weeks. Will he not much more clothe you? Another light and heavy. If he cares for the flowers, will he not care for you? And, and our hearts begin to tremble as we think, Lord, will you care for me? Will, will, you, will you concern yourself with my basic needs and free me from an excessive worry and concern for them? And that's the question. That's the challenge in the passage. Jesus says, will he not do this Oh, you of little faith. You see, it's the small scale of our faith that keeps us in that space of thinking, I've got to focus my attention on meeting my needs. We assume that hierarchy and think, well, when my needs are met, then I will move up. But actually, the further up you go, In Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the basic orientation of the pyramid doesn't change. It's my needs. My needs for food, clothing. My needs for safety and security. My needs for love and belonging. My needs for esteem. My need, ultimately, for self-fulfillment. The fundamental orientation of the pyramid never shifts away from self. Maslow himself wonders, why don't more people reach this place of happiness and creative expression, fulfillment, and meaning? 
Let's look at Jesus' second statement. In verse 31, Jesus says, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what do we eat? What should we drink? What should we wear? Again, anxiety doesn't mean just uh, uh, um, how we tend to use this word today. Social anxiety, or or I'm worried, or or, uh, generalized anxiety. Jesus is saying, do not be excessively concerned with these things. Do not devote an excessive amount of attention to these topics because his first point was life is more than these things. In his second statement, he says, do not be anxious about these things because the nations of the world, they they seek after this. Everybody seeks after this. Long before Maslow, people sought the fulfillment of their basic needs. Jesus says your heavenly father knows that you need them. Jesus says, though, that the priority that relieves anxiety is in verse 33. Instead, seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness first. Jesus says that instead of an excessive attention to our basic needs, instead of a relentless pursuit of ourself, Jesus says, place God at the center of your life. Seek after God his kingdom, his reign, his righteousness, and all your needs are going to be met. Wow, what a risk. What a risk to take Jesus at his word. I mean, that's scary. And yet, it's freeing. Jesus says, place God first, his kingdom, his righteousness, and discover within that first priority that the covenant-keeping God of the Bible will commit himself to care for you. And God will care for us. Notice Jesus' language earlier, your heavenly Father feeds them, will he not feed you? Your heavenly father clothes them. Will he not clothe you? In seeking first God and his kingdom, we discover a heavenly father committed to care for us. Bonhoeffer says it like this. He says, striving for the righteousness of Christ stands ahead of the cares of our lives for food and clothing, job or family. Bonhoeffer says this word of Jesus, the commandment not to worry, is either an unbearable burden or it's the gospel itself. When Jesus says, don't worry, is this an unbearable burden? But Jesus, I am worried. I mean, will I have enough? Will my needs be met? Some of us, that's food and drink. Some of that's relationships. Some of that's it's career. Some of that's, will I have a big enough house? What about my retirement? Boy, the stock market seems to be moving around a lot lately. And we worry. And Jesus does not give us an unbearable burden to say, oh, just deny your concerns. Jesus offers us the gospel itself. 
that those who follow Jesus and look to his righteousness are in the care and protection of Jesus and, our, and, and the Father. This is the gospel. The gospel gives us freedom, and this is the third implication. The first was that Jesus says, do not be excessively concerned with meeting your own needs because life is more than that. His second implication was, was, do not be overly concerned with meeting your own needs, but prioritize the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and he will meet your needs. I'm thankful that Jesus adds verse 34. Jesus' third implication of the priority of God in our lives is he says, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow will be anxious for itself. There will be plenty of things for you to think about tomorrow. And Jesus focuses our attention on today. Because the life of discipleship is lived day by day. Remember, manna was provided day by day. Remember the Lord's prayer was, give us this day our daily bread. We do not get a quarterly supply. We do not get a 10-year note. We ask for a daily supply of bread, and we remain in this actually life-giving, dynamic relationship with God through Jesus Christ, where he's going to meet the needs that we have today. Anxiety and worry is always directed towards tomorrow about what will happen. It can steal your joy. It can sap your energy. You can spend your life worrying about things that never happen. And it can slip through your fingers when Jesus is calling us to live for him and in him today. Jesus says you can't serve God and the things of this world. You you can't do it. And if we place God as our priority, we discover life is more than what we were worrying about. We discover that God is for us. He is committed to us. And then here's, here's the most exciting part of the passage. The most exciting part of the passage is that Jesus invites us into the freedom to live for Christ today. The freedom to live for Christ today means that this priority that relieves our anxiety actually begins to overflow in our lives and we make this great turn as disciples of Jesus away from the relentless pursuit of meeting our own needs And we begin to live in imitation of our Heavenly Father and meet the needs of others. Most people that I've known never make this turn. But the ones that do, and I I think Jesus is calling all of us to do, live those lives that are meaningful and fulfilling and have creative expression. Because, I mean, God has said, I'm going to take care of you. It's on me. It's on me to meet the needs that you have. 
And the Father knows those even before we ask them. And so we don't have to. We don't have to do that. I remember when our daughter first was accepted to, uh, to college, college of her choice. We saw God's leading, and we were all praising God and excited about it. And then I looked up how much that was going to cost. And, and uh, I'm not a mathematician, <laughs> but let's just say there were a lot of zeros. And I was worried. And I thought, Lord, how am I going to do that? And that was my big mistake. How am I going to meet that need? That was my huge error at the beginning. And then I began to shift my prayers and say, Lord, would you teach us all about your ability to provide? Will you give us an apprenticeship in your plans and purposes? If you are confirming and calling, then you are committed to this far more than me. And it's not upon me solely to figure out a way to do that. And we saw God move and provide from some unexpected places. And we praise God. We praise God because we are called, brothers and sisters, not to be people with an excessive focus on getting our needs met. You see, we're actually called to be people who seek God first, know that he's going to meet our needs, and now we are free to live today to be concerned about meeting the needs of people around us. Have you noticed the connection between Matthew 6 and the Father's activity of feeding the people and clothing them with Matthew 25? When we look towards the end of the gospel, Jesus describes that when he comes in glory, that he will sit on his throne and all nations will appear before him. It's one of the most incredible scenes of the gospel. And people are separated into two groups, right and left. And the king comes and speaks to those on his right and says, Come, blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you before the foundation of the world. And we rejoice and we want to enter in. And then Jesus surprises us by explaining to this group why they are coming in. He says, For I was hungry. And you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And the people streaming into the everlasting kingdom are stunned. And they say, Lord, when were you hungry? When did we feed you and give you to drink and clothe you? And Jesus says, as you did to the one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. You see, the exciting part of the kingdom is seeking God first means he will meet our needs. And in Christ, then we are free to meet the needs of others. And we begin to feed and clothe others around us out of the abundance that God gives to us. 
And out of the abundance, not just a material abundance, but the abundance of soul to know that God is for us and he will care for us. And so we get freed from thinking, boy, I've got to get up that pyramid, get all my needs met, and really arrive. And Jesus says, you know, the real way to freedom is to believe in me and let me take care of you and you live in imitation of me in the world around you. It's exciting. And you know, Jesus never says at the end, why aren't more people reaching the goal? He welcomes in all who have believed in him and expressed that faith in action. I love to see people express their Christian faith in public ways. Tonight we are hosting for a conversation Dr. Daniel Master teaches archaeology at Wheaton College. He excavated the city of Ashkelon with Harvard University for 25 years, and he's done some pioneering research on DNA testing and archaeology. We're going to have a conversation tonight, and we can all come. And tomorrow night, he's going to give a lecture. I encourage you to be here and, and invite people for a thoughtful presentation that can fire gospel conversations. Part of the background of these guest speakers and and how we've been able to do that came from the encouragement of former UC president Santa Ono. Santa Ono was president of UC from 2012 to 2016. And I consider him a friend and, and a real inspiration in someone who lived his faith out publicly. At the end of his first year as president, in the spring of 2013, the university was doing so well that Ono was offered a generous bonus, and he turned it down. He turned it down and gave it to faculty members. The next year, he was offered a $100,000 bonus And he took the money and redirected it to students. In 2015, he was offered a raise and a $200,000 bonus. And instead, he turned it down and funded scholarships for first-generation to college students. I don't know how you live that way. unless you know that someone else is meeting your needs and that you really believe that you can't serve God in money, but that if God's the priority in your life, then you have enough and you can use your resources to meet the needs of others. I was sad, like many of us, when he took the position as president of the University of British Columbia in 2016, his hometown. He was interviewed when he took that position about this behavior of not accepting raises and bonuses. One of the board president of UC, Tom Hume, said, it sounds crazy. It's hard for us when someone turns down a raise, but we've actually learned that the way to satisfy 
President Ono is to give them the ability to help other people. He was, ono was asked in an interview about why he acted the way that he did. And he spoke about the real satisfaction of helping others. He even sold the presidential condominium for UC. It was a perk for the president. But he said there wasn't really any history in using that space, and I didn't really need it. So he sold it for $3 million and funded 30 students to go to the university. Jesus wants to set us free from the relentless pursuit of meeting our own needs so that we know the peace and joy that he's committed to meeting our needs. And in his name, we get to live and meet the needs of people around us. I had the privilege of spending a day with eight other people, with with Dr. Ono speaking about higher education and where it's going. And in the midst of that intimate conversation, he told us a little bit more of his story. He'd grown up in a high-achieving family. He went to the University of Chicago as an undergraduate student. And like many undergrad, many students, he, his life kind of went off the rails, and he struggled with depression and anxiety about his future. And he tried to mask that with drinking. He was drinking so heavily that he found himself on the outside of the third story of a building in downtown Chicago. And a group of students saw him out there. They were part of InterVarsity. And they climbed up there and brought him inside and sat with him all night long until he became sober and they plugged him into a small group Bible study. He came to trust Jesus Christ as Savior through that Bible study. With Jesus Christ as Lord, knowing that he will meet our needs, we are free in his name to meet the needs of others. You can't do it, dear friends, according to Jesus. You can't serve God with your whole heart and worldly possessions and the anxieties that come with meeting your own needs. You can't do it. It's one or the other. And the kingdom of God as our priority gives us this freedom and great joy. This month, as you know, is a critical month for Kenwood's history. It's an important month. It's a month where we will decide, will we focus our attention on meeting our own needs or will we give generously to meet the needs of others? In your bulletin, there's a connect card, and I encourage you to fill those out, especially if you are new. There's a pledge card in there, and I want you to take this home as we're, we're dreaming about, about expanding the church, not to meet our own needs, but to meet the needs of the community around us. This week, I had two profound moments 
in the building that were unplanned. I was doing a prayer walk on Wednesday around the church campus praying for Magnify. I was just by myself, and I walked across the street and prayed. And then I came back into the the sanctuary, and I came in, and there were two young women in the sanctuary. They were high school seniors. I introduced myself. I'd never seen them before. They attend a local public high school. And one of the young women said to me, you know, I'm, I'm doing a photography project and I'm looking for places in the city where I can go to find strength and power and comfort. And so I thought I would come in here. Can you find strength and power and comfort in here? I'd like this building to be open all the time for people to come in and find those things here. She said, can I take a few pictures? I said, take as many as you want. Thursday evening, our elders gathered and we just prayed for the Magnify campaign. We prayed at the entryway downstairs. We stood out in the front yard and prayed. We prayed for the children's wing and we prayed in here. And and when we left praying outside, we came around and I didn't have my keys. And, you know, this door was was locked. So the elders were all locked out. And as we looked in, we saw people. And the lights were on. And we heard music. And I motioned with my hand looking through the window with the elders. And this young man walked up and he opened the door and he was the groom. And there was a wedding that was being rehearsed and happened this weekend and none none of us even knew it was happening. And it was so powerful actually to think of all that's happening and the ministry happening and the music and the ability of this church to be present and available for the needs of our community. That's what this is about. And if we will expend and exhaust ourselves to meet our own needs, this will never happen. But if we seek God first, this can happen. Let's do that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your presence and your power among us. Thank you for giving us a strong word of challenge. Thank you for knowing us, what we worry about, and speaking to that. And I pray, Lord, for those among us who are worried about what they will eat or drink and wear. And I ask that you would assure them through faith in Jesus that you will care for them. I pray, Father, that you would free us from the relentless pursuit of our own needs and that we might feed and clothe those around us in your name and find meaning and purpose in our lives. We pray that you would bless the Magnify campaign and the the dream that you have given to us in these next weeks. We give you glory. We give you thanks and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.